and welcome to Your Killer Life, where together we tackle the reality of surviving a killer diagnosis like cancer, and I help guide you through creating your killer life. I am your host, Tammy Grable Woodford, and in this podcast, we aren't leaving anything out as my guests and I share deeply personal insights and experiences as we talk about trauma, loss, treatment options, caregiving, side effects, money. Hey, we open it all up. In fact, we are even going into the forbidden zone to talk about sex, relationships, and mental health. Remember, the conversations you hear on the show are based on unique experiences and varying diagnoses, and we all had our own medical teams. We are not giving medical advice. So if you hear something inspiring, please talk with your providers. All right, are you ready? I know I am. So let's get busy and start building your killer life. Hello, and welcome back to Your Killer Life. We are so excited to have you back listening to the podcast this week. And we have a unique and I think a topic that just could use all of the help and assistance with awareness that we can give it. And I have been, I guess you could say, blessed in my life to know three breast cancer survivors who are men. However, I had no idea that there were so many. I suppose that should have been a little bit of a takeaway for me. So today we have with us from the Male Breast Cancer Coalition, we have Brett Miller and we have Sherry Ambrose, and we're going to talk about the amazing work, the amazing advocacy work and awareness work that they do. We're going to hear Brett's story, which is absolutely amazing. And frankly, I think so important for all of us to know, because we all have men in our lives, whether it's our brother, our sons, our husbands, our we all have our fathers, we all have men in our lives. So Let's kick it off with some introductions. Brett, do you want to kind of tell us a little bit about you? Yeah. Uh, my name is Brett Miller. I am the co-founder of the Male Breast Cancer Coalition. Before that, I founded the Brett Miller 1T Foundation. We can talk about that later. But I am a 10-year breast cancer survivor now. Uh, my my official 10 years was actually uh, the 21st, just a couple of days ago on my last treatment. I was 17 when I first found the lump. Um, and I was 24 when I was officially diagnosed. So, wow. Yeah. I am looking forward to digging into this story because it is so important. And Sherry. Yes. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about you. Sherry Ambrose. Bet forgot to say that we are a split. We're, we're split across the country. Brett's oh, yes. Kansas City. I'm located in New Jersey. So we do all of our advocacy work online through Zoom, through social media. And before meeting Brett, I actually had started a breast cancer organization here in New Jersey called the Blue Wave because we wanted to be a splash of blue in that sea of pink. And we started because I had a good friend of mine actually pick up the phone one day and call me before they even called their family and told me that her husband had breast cancer. And she said, I know you do a lot of the Komen runs and advocacy work with them and that you know a few men. She says, I'd really like you to talk to, to Brian. So I did. And then I said, you know what? This is so much bigger. The more I was finding more of these men just here in New Jersey, I decided to take to the Internet like everybody does. And I wasn't finding anything. So I kept trying and trying and I kept coming up with a young man's story. And this young man was, is now my co-founder. 
But I found his story and I'm like, I got to get in touch with him. So I reach out, no answer. Reach out again, no answer. I was like, is this guy like, you know, this little shit's like a celebrity or something? I don't know. I can't get him. Well, I finally got his mom, who is our director, Peggy Miller, on the phone. And the two of us talked for an hour. And by the end of that conversation, we had decided that the two organizations were going to blend and we were going to become the Male Breast Cancer Coalition because this thing was way bigger than Kansas City and New Jersey. That's how we all started. I love that. And so I think this the stats that I looked at last, it was like, is it one in 800 men are? One in 833. That's here in the United States. Estimated numbers this year are 2,670 men are estimated to be diagnosed with the disease with 520 dying from the disease. And that number, I have tracked it for the past 11 years, has steadily gone up. Really? Men. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to make a note because I want to I want to dig into Brett's story, but I also I want to come back to that because I know in the research I was doing, often for men, it's diagnosed later and that contributes oftentimes to that uh, that outcome. Exactly. And that's that's part of our biggest thing is, is catching it early you know, doing your best and don't be afraid. If you find something, go to the doctor, quit being a stubborn male. I mean, like I said, 17, when I first found a lump 24, when I was diagnosed, like get to the doctor because it, it it's ultimately going to save your life was going to the doctor and figuring out what the lump is. So at 17 then, and it was at a sports physical. So did you discover the lump or was that the provider at the physical? No, I discovered it. So it was pretty much just like, a I don't even know what day of the week it was, but I was watching TV and I kind of had that like, you know, stretch, layback stretch. And I, you know, kind of scratch and I came across my right chest and the nipple and I felt a lump there. And it was a little bit before a week or so before um, the uh, sports physical for uh, football. And so that's when I brought it up to the first doctor and he said, Oh, it's probably just calcium buildup. You're going through puberty. It'll dissipate, go away. Had it all through senior year of high school. Uh, had to go get my shots for uh, college and brought it up to that doctor, different doctor, and almost verbatim said the same exact thing. Calcium buildup, dissipate, puberty, all that stuff. So I'm thinking, okay, nothing big. I mean, you got to think this is 2003, 2004. I don't think any doctor at that time is going to think a 17-year-old, 18-year-old male is is having breast cancer. So I don't fault any doctors at all. Some people have been like, well, would you go back and sue for misdiagnosis? Absolutely not. They're learning just as much as we are. And it's, you know, it's medicine. It's called a practice for a reason because it's changing every single day, every hour. So I don't fault any doctors. I thank them for everything that they do. But it wasn't. It was it, the reason why it was so long was one, because I'm a male, I'm stubborn. Um, I'm not so much anymore, still a little bit, but I didn't go to the doctor. I, I never felt like sick, minus the common cold, you know, a few things here and there, but I never felt sick. So I never went to the doctor for it. I went through all throughout college without health insurance because once again, that's another issue, another discussion, long discussion with that. But 
so I didn't have health insurance out of college, graduated, took the job at, uh, at the country club where I'm still at. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, it had health insurance for almost two years. But once again, I didn't feel sick. I didn't need the reason to go to the doctor to, you know, both my parents were like, you've had health insurance for so long and I mean, you're paying for it, but you're not going to a doctor to do, you know, like, go set up and get that physical, go, you know, go do that. And my mom, my parents knew about the lump, but they had, uh, you know, they'd asked if it was still there and I was like, yeah. And the one thing I didn't really tell them and, or tell anybody really was that for, almost those two years I had a discharge from the nipple. Mm. Um, if I were to bump into something or if I were to squeeze it now, hear me out. Don't give me that judgment right now. I thought that it was the calcium dissipating and finally going away. So that's, you know, in a male, I'm just like, okay, that's what it is. But my mom hearing that afterwards, she immediately was like, that's, that, that's not normal having any type of discharge and then reading symptoms and stuff after I was officially diagnosed, like, lump discharge and it's like oh okay well maybe i should have acted on this a little bit sooner so yeah i went to finally went to the doctor get a physical i had to actually stop the doctor and ask him to come back into the room afterwards because they don't do breast exams on men in their in their physical it's statistically statistically from what i was told it's not worth their time that's uh, that's almost verbatim what i was told from this doctor after I was diagnosed, after he sent me to go get the sonograms. Um, but, it, you know, I asked him to come back in and I pointed out the lump and he immediately kind of looked at it and he goes, huh, um, let's get a, let's get, get you scheduled for a sonogram. You know, it's just down the road. You can go do it in the next couple of days and, and go from there. Right? So I got scheduled for a sonogram, walked into the building, not knowing where I was going. Women's clinic is the title on the, on the room. I walk in and I'm a few minutes late because I walked into the wrong place first. And uh, they greeting me my, by name, which I'm sure does not happen to any women when they walk into the women's clinic. But I guess since I was the only male going in for the day, they knew exactly who was coming in. Filled out all the information, you know, name, address, health insurance. Um, when was your menstrual cycle? Are you pregnant? Uh, you know, quite a few. I literally was like that much information I could fill out of an entire page. Walk back to pink gown pink everywhere pink this you know whatever and being like held in a room waiting for like multiple women to like walk through the you know for the imaging and then being allowed to you know go to the room that i need to be in got the sonogram the doctor that's on call there she comes in after the nurse uh, technician does you know does the imaging and almost does like a triple take me the monitor back and forth and just kind of, you know, looks at me and she goes, you know what, let's, uh, let's do a mammogram just to make sure, you know, we cover all bases. The imaging is there. We don't have to waste any more of your time. You don't have to come back in on another day. If your doctor says this and everything, and I'm just, is that physically possible? It is. It doesn't feel great. Women. I understand. I, I get it. Fully get it. It's not fun. <laughs> uh, but it ultimately ended up being the better imaging between the sonogram and the mammogram. Uh, you know, so I get then set up with a surgeon afterward, after, you know, the, the imaging come back and, you know, he looks at it and he's like, based on what you're telling me and what I see here and stuff. Yeah. It's probably just a calcium lump, you know, but the amount of time that you've had it, you know, we're just going to take it out anyways. Um, just to be on the safe side, he goes, I'll put it through for the insurance claim. They're more than likely going to deny it. 
straight up on the first time because they're going to see male chest uh, surgery. Why are we paying for this? Um, he goes, so I'll have to put it back there. So, you know, we'll schedule it for this day, but more than likely it's going to be two weeks out and like clockwork exactly like it was. It was two weeks afterwards because it got denied the first time. So they, you know, it was literally a day procedure in and out. Uh, and I was back at work the next day and it wasn't, it was the, it was leaving work at the country club to go work down to go bartend downtown is when I got the call from the doctor, which I, at the time didn't even, I didn't think that they were actually sending it off to pathology or they might've said something to me and I was drugged up. So I don't remember that's what I'm going to go with, but he called and he was like, yes, this is, I don't remember his name. I didn't care to remember his name because he was such a poor doctor. Uh, it, it, the way his attitude was and his bedside manner and everything about it, you know, that's, I don't remember his name, but he just, yeah, this is doctor, uh, just letting you know that the, uh, preliminary pathology reports have come back. It's breast cancer. Um, I haven't fully read the reports, but I'll call, uh, call you back in three to five days. Uh, once I do, and we can, uh, set something up. And it was like, literally that's it. He was like, have any questions? And I was like, uh, no, like, you know, I'm, didn't ask like, Hey, you should come in. This is kind of, you know, we got to discuss some things or are you in a safe space? Or are you driving? Or are you not, you know, whatever. So, you know, in that standpoint, I didn't, that's why, you know, immediately I was like, well, we need to find somebody else. But we finally got in to see the doctor, you know, pretty much the next day because I called my dad and let him know. And I was like, Hey, I'm heading downtown. It's going to be busy. I can't talk very, very much, but this is what's happening. I, you know, he says it's breast cancer don't tell mom because she's going to freak out. I don't have the time to deal with what I know she's going to start doing, but I, I will tell her everything once I get home. And I get, I mean, he hung up the phone and five minutes later, my mom's calling. <laughs> I was like, really way to hold out on that one and stuff. But he was just like, because I couldn't, I literally hung up the phone with you and I turned around and she saw it on my face. So, but it's, it's a good thing that, that she did because mama, mama Miller, just sick on him. I mean, we, like I said, three to five days is what the doctor told me. We were meeting that doctor the next day. We were in his office discussing everything. And he's telling me that it's a double mastectomy, no way around it. He's done the surgery before uh, on many women, but it's never on any men. He's never performed the surgery on men before. And, you know, just, it just his, his manner, like I signed all forms, all HIPAA forms so that any information could also be discussed with my parents. Well, he almost refused discussing anything with my mom. And his response was, he's a 24 year old male. He can deal with it. Exactly. I see, I see the look on your face and stuff. It's like, that's a lot of information. One to be diagnosed with cancer at any age, any person, any, you know, sex, you know, whatever, but a male and hearing the words you have breast cancer like that right there just stops you in their tracks and you'll hear from many men being like that's not possible i don't have breast you know but we have breast tissue and that's what we've got to get the men to understand that it's not pet cancer it's not chest cancer it's breast cancer that's what the term is we need you to come to terms with it and 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 just understand it because then that's only going to help us get better. Cause when you start correcting somebody and say that chest cancer or pet cancer, it doesn't really help us out. It's not going to help us get that research and that information that we need out there, that awareness out there that, you know, men get it too. Men have breasts too. I, I was just going to say exactly. And so you found a different doctor 
Yes. So I was, you know, immediately hearing that I would be the first male that he performed the surgery on. And then there was no way around a double mastectomy. I was like, I want a second opinion because of my case and how young I was and how rare it is. The, the, the hospital was like, can we share your case? You know, no name, you know, or in personal information like that, just your age, sex, and then what the diagnosis is. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. That ended up being like the best thing because it was, there were so many doctors kind of looking at it. And uh, yeah. So Dr. Lon Krosky is who ended up who we got to met with him. And he was the same way though. He was like, it will be a double mastectomy. He goes, I understand you got a lot of stuff going on with work. So the focus right now is going to be on the right side. We can schedule in a couple months or so for the left side to come back and do a left side or, you know, in a, in a time frame that works so to make sure that we're good and we come back and do the left side. But, you know, his just, it, 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 he was so much better. <laughs> he was so more comforting and it made everything. I was just like, and he had performed the surgery on 12 other men. Wow. So I was like, right there, he knows what he's doing does great work, but it was, it wasn't until meeting him that I felt comfortable with the diagnosis and talking to him. And he was saying, well, you know, I can reach out to, you know, some of the men before and, you know, maybe get, you know, so you can ask some questions if you have any questions, because my mom has reached out to two other corporate uh, foundations and said, you know, that she knew the director personally, because she'd done work with them or helped them with video work or something else. And said that my son is diagnosed with breast cancer. Is there anything you can, you can do? Both organizations told us, sorry, we're only women. We're only focused on women. Wow. It wasn't, I let everybody else, you know, piece those two together. But it wasn't until it was American Cancer Society is the one that's helped us, been with us from the get-go. So I'll do anything for them. But it was my doctor that said, if you're willing to share your story, if you're willing to speak out, he, he told me that he could see me be a face of male breast cancer. He sees me being somebody out there that's going to help other men not take time off work, do the surgery, do whatever treatments and act like nothing happened. But, you know, to be out there and be a voice for it and, you know, talking to him and just thinking about it, I was, that's, you know, okay, this is, this is what we're doing. Cause then I also met with a plastic surgeon as well and asked him about, the you know possibility of reconstruction or anything and you know his words were it would be the first that i've done um you know we i'm sure it could happen i just don't know it's just like hearing these like i don't really feel like being a guinea pig so i was just like not doing not doing anything i'll keep i'm keeping the scar that's the story that's what i can i can lift up my shirt and show people a scar when for women it's like no i'm not going to do it which I totally understand i get it but you know, at the time that I heart boobies bracelet was a big thing. So I was wearing it and I was working downtown at the park. Somebody, go, a female walked up and goes, you would. And I go, you're right. I would. I, 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 I do like boobies. I, I, I want to save them. I want to make sure like that's the whole purpose for it. It's not just because this is I heart boobies. And, and it was just, I just got this like look and then I lifted up my shirt and it was pretty much like she paid for the drink and like ran away. And I was like, I'm not trying to embarrass somebody. I'm just saying, yeah, I, I, I went through it. So yes, I, I, I do want to save the boobies for men and women. And then, so I had the mastectomy the morning of the surgery. 
I'm sorry if I'm jumping around a little no, bit. No, go ahead. <laughs> just like other things kind of pop in. She's like working a thousand miles a minute. The morning of the surgery, my doctor got a call from his friends at John Hopkins. And they said, do not treat men like women. Only do a single mastectomy. Because at the time, it was a double mastectomy for women so that it wouldn't spread to the other breast. And based on the barely stage one diagnosis, he was like, we're only doing the single. And he was like, no, you can think about it. And we can schedule and do a double one, you know, do the other side later and stuff. But I was, you know, I got more information and it was like, no, just the one side kind of do it would have evened me up a little bit, I guess, you know, if I did, but yeah, whatever. So I had the, I had the vasectomy. We had, I don't know, two or three of the news uh, stations there. There were uh, two, one or two of them were actually set up in the surgery room. The doctor, you know, my surgeon prepared my mom for it. Never told me this. I didn't know about it until a day or two later said that based on the time that I had the lump that to prepare for the worst, that it could be everywhere. Um, luckily it wasn't, um, it was the sentinel node test, the biopsy test and stuff. It was only in the, in pretty much where it was at right behind the nipple. Um, everybody's always asked, were you scared? You know, when you got the news that it was breast cancer before it was, uh, the other surgery and, and it was, you know, for a minute, for a little bit. Yes. But immediately it was just kind of like a, well, the lump's gone. Like what's, what more is there? You know, I wasn't thinking at the time that the possibility of the spread, but I had uh, four rounds of chemotherapy and because I did the Oncotype DX test, um, which is great. Um, if anybody is in those early stages of breast cancer, it's a, it, I know it's stage one and maybe stage two now that they can test up to, or that it's, it's, it's a, uh, it gives the doctors, the oncologists a better plan of attack. So yes, no. Oncotype DX. I, I took the test and it said that I, I don't know how it all works. It's it's science. Um, but it said I had a 22% chance of cancer coming back over a 10 year period. But if I was able, if I chose to do chemotherapy, four rounds of chemotherapy, then it would reduce the possibility by up to 10%. I was like, whatever I can do to get that number down to zero. <laughs> let's do it. So, yeah, so I opted for the four rounds of chemotherapy, you know, and, and of course the other questions come in, like, are you, are you afraid to get sick or, uh, or lose your hair or whatever, you know, all these, all those questions. And I was like, well, I, I've already lost a nipple. What's hair. It'll grow back. The nipple won't. Um, it's true. Yeah. You know, four rounds of chemotherapy, everything happened from April 27, 28th, 27th was the lump back to me and the 28th was the official diagnosis to September 21st. And that on that whole time frame was surgeries and chemotherapy and, and everything. And I th think I missed maybe like eight or nine days of work. Um, so like doctor said, youth was on my side because I know other men that, uh, that, you know, through the, through the years of discussing them with, we've been on almost the same chemo. They may have been on a few more rounds or so, but, it took them down more than, you know, than me and stuff. So I, you know, age and definitely has a, a factor to it, but not every case is exactly the same diagnosis. You know, everybody's different. And, you know, I, I just got lucky. That's all I can tell everybody is I just got extremely lucky. I think it's always amazing to me as I talk with 
cancer survivors, how many of us were healthy and had, you know, did not feel sick. I mean, I was, I was 43, so I was a bit older than you were, but probably the fittest I'd been since my twenties and didn't feel sick at all. And if I hadn't had, if I had not seen changes and even my changes were subtle and my cancer was lobular and my changes were that one breast was slightly firmer and smaller than the other. And my nipple had retracted. And the gynecologist actually in doing the exam said to me, well, are you sure your nipple hasn't always been retracted? Just so you know, we get dumb questions too. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty sure had them for 43 years. Um, (laughs) But there was no palpable mass with the lobular. So even though I had over six centimeters of um, tumor tissue, there was nothing palpable. So, and no um, leakage, from the nipple either. So that's always interesting to me, just that how healthy and then how different the symptoms are for everybody. And as a, as a guy, going back to the start of your story, I wouldn't expect a guy to know what to do with discharge from a nipple. Like we're, we're sort of coached from, you know, junior high or middle school, whatever it's called these days, right. From health class, that these are the things that you watch for and guys don't get that conversation. And so you know, I wouldn't expect you to know. So were you, was your cancer ductal lobular combination? And do you know, did you have any gene mutation? It was ductal, ductal carcinoma in situ with the official diagnosis was like, like I said, barely stage one. I think they, based on, it was just on that like borderline on, on the centimeter. So they, they put it in stage one instead of stage zero. I didn't know gene mutation. Uh, you know, nothing that they at the time, because it was only BRCA1 and BRCA2, that, uh, that, that it was uh, that they could test for at the time. Insurance would not cover any more after that. They would only cover one genetics test. So uh, when the uh, Myriad came out with uh, my risk, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. With my risk, my oncologist was like, well, Peggy, my mom, you know, you've never been tested for the gene, so we can test you. And if anything pops up on yours, then we can test Brett, you know, and then insurance will cover it in that way. She got tested, nothing there, but they did have a few outliers that they weren't sure, but it kind of dinged on the radar. And then that, that's something to, you know, that they'll kind of put in their catalog. And if something, if they determine something, then they can reach back out. But yeah, there's no, there's no uh, genetic mutation. There are, 13 females on my mom's side, all cousins. So kind of, you know, second, third, you know, so on the distant, there's no direct line of, of a family history, but back to what you were saying about, you know, how women are you know coached from it, from the get go on what to look for. That's what we found that, that men aren't. And we know that it's 1% of breast cancer cases. We know that it's a lower number than women, but it's still possible. And it's not always going to be a hereditary thing. So it's, you know, it's just along with, you know, testicular cancer or, you know, making sure that you're going to the doctor for your, for, you know, colon cancer or prostate or anything else later in life. But the early, it's the earlier is what you've got to kind of get it embedded in their brains is, is a breast self-exam doing a quick, you know, once over, you know, like our slogan was the original one from the Brett Miller one T foundation is guys don't be afraid to touch yourself. That's, you know, and that's, that's exactly, you know, what it is. So it was, it, for me, it was that quick, oh, wow. Okay. So there's that. And it's, 
I've got uh, a friend here. She was with me on the Ford Warriors in pink back in 2012 and 2013 that her lump was all the way up near her collarbone. And a lot of people don't think, don't realize that your breast tissue is going all the way up to your collarbone. So it's, it's understanding. And that's what we did these breast self-exam videos. And we have all these cards all over our website, millbreastcancercoalition.org. And they're, I don't know what, Cherry, 18, 20 languages now or something. We've got them translated in quite a few. We've got them translated. Yeah, they're they're actually um, a two-sided card. One side is blue and it's it's a figure of a man and it's step-by-step step what to do. And the other side is women. And we've been lucky enough to have a lot of our, um, being we're a global organization, we have a lot of our uh, partners around the world who've helped us with the translation into the different languages. Oh, so that it's, is... just, it's, it's just getting the men out. It's just getting the awareness out there for the men to do an exam occasionally, you know, run your hands over. If you feel something, do then do a deeper, maybe, you know, the three, you know, three fingers and the soft, medium light, you know, pressure tests and all that. So that, that is fantastic that you have those resources available and talking about early detection. I mean, we know that with women, right? Like, it, early detection does not cause more cancer, but we know that when we started to focus on early detection, we found more cancer. And so right now saying that male breast cancer is at 1%, I mean, that's based on today and the limited amount of effort towards an education, effort towards education, right? So it is possible that there's more. Well, I think it's more of a reporting them as well, you know? Like, like uh, my doctor said that 12 other men, he performed surgery on 12 other men, but they don't talk about it. Now, was their information actually reported to the studies to, you know, the actual numbers? I, nobody knows. Right. I don't know. So it's just, it's one of those things is getting men more comfortable in speaking about it and, and outspoken so that we can get stronger numbers so that we can get more research for it and be included in more things and thankful for the FDA for finally making that change that if you're going to do a breast cancer study, you have to include men. And if you don't, you have to have a really good excuse. So thank you for the FDA for starting to include men. So, yeah. And I will tell you, it's also interesting that they tested your, your mom for BRCA, but they didn't test your dad. And I find that interesting. And actually maybe Sherry, I'll toss this over to you because you've probably done some research on that, you know, in talking with Chris Gallo in one of the previous podcast episodes and him being BRCA gene mutation, having the BRCA gene mutation and that not being present on his mom's side and he has daughters. And so you know, that's sort of that next question, I guess, for me anyway, is that, you know, why, why are we still only looking at women when it's clear men do have breasts too, and they have breast tissue and they can also be these BRCA carriers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we actually have one of the gentlemen here who's been with us since the beginning. His breast cancer came down on his father's side. He in, inherited the BRCA mutation from his dad, who inherited it from his dad. And um, lucky for him, you don't want to say that, but luckily he was diagnosed and he knew he had the gene and he had his daughter tested. Um, she was actually too young at the time and they didn't want to do the mammogram on her, but the doctor pushed it and the two of them wound up having their surgeries together, going through chemo together. And now she is 
he went, he had a double mastectomy. She actually is a four time survivor. She's battled four times now and she's got young kids. So um, he came to a meeting of uh, a living beyond breast cancer meeting with me one night and the room was all women. There were about a dozen of us there, young women, older women, and they were all telling their stories. He told his last and then they looked to me and I said, well, I'm only here for support. I said, I'm not a a survivor. I said, however, I said, I noticed something in the conversation that we just had that maybe you didn't pick up on. I said, but I noticed when each of you was asked, where did you get your BRCA mutation from? You all said your father. And they kind of just looked at me like deers in headlights. And I was like, that is amazing to me that 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 stuck with me. So it's definitely something that they need to check on both sides. Yeah, definitely. Wow. So that is interesting. So, and Sherry, on your side, so you, because you're not a survivor, you have this, but you have this great empathy and passion for advocacy work and education. And so can you talk with us a little bit about that side of the Male Breast Cancer Coalition and uh, the work that you do there? I do everything but work the website. (laughs) Uh, I'm the one who searches out for the men. Um, I've set up Google Alerts. So whenever there's a story that happens to pop in the news, no matter where it is around the world, I will go after them. I'll go to the reporters. I'll, I'll dig until I find these guys. Just to let them know we are here because the stories are so familiar I don't know of any other men. I felt like a freak. I'm the only one out here. I want to make a difference. And I'm like, you're going to make a difference, but there's such a big voice for it. Just, you know, lend us your story. And that's how the Male Breast Cancer Coalition was built. We actually are storytellers. And it's through telling each one of these survivors' stories that we've been able to connect with so many people that we are actually having men find us now rather than us chasing them. And what we found is that the numbers and the ages are actually anywhere between late thirties to 50. It's not an old man's disease where you're saying sixties and seventies. That's not the case because we have so many that are in their thirties and forties. Wow. Yeah. So we do our best. We reach out to clinicians, um, researchers, scientists around the world, and we connect them with researchers here in the United States that are doing the same type of work and in hopes of them collaborating and finding a cure for this or finding some type of treatment that's going to give a better quality of life to our metastatic survivors. We want to have them around for a long time. We don't want breast cancer to be a death sentence for anybody, but unfortunately, so many men miss the signs. Yes, it's it's to hopefully get to that treatment that we, they go, we know this works for men. Here you go. Not the, well, it worked for women you know, over here, and we're hoping that it works for you too, so we're going to give this a shot. Not that like it having that guarantee that this is going to work or this is going to be better because it's directed for you and your hormones being a male, not this may work. This works for women. So we're hoping to work for you. Good luck. That's kind of what it feels like is, is that we're, and I get it. Like I said, there are 
a lot more women that are getting diagnosed with men. And that's where the research is. Right. But men need to be included too. Right. You still, you still need that research. I think that I know, as I mentioned earlier, even with my lobular, like for the longest time, they would gold standard for lobular was to treat it like ductile. And now they're understanding that ductile and lobular are very different and perhaps they need to be treated differently. Recurrence is differently, you know, place of recurrence. So, you know, when I was first diagnosed, I was like, okay, well, cool. It's the slow growing one. And everybody was telling me this was great news. And, and following that, you know, five years is great. 10 years is awesome. 15 years, you're home free only to find out that with lobular, actually (laughs) it's kind Mm -hmm. of the opposite. (laughs) So, you know, having the, the gold standard and the the science-based, evidence-based solutions and best possible treatments for men is critically important that, you know, understanding we, yes, we all have all of the hormones and from, you know, an endocrine perspective, yes, right. You've got testosterone and estrogen and progesterone, just like I do. It's just different amounts. Um, but understanding that, and I didn't even ask you that if your uh, cancer was estrogen or progesterone positive, uh, estrogen, estrogen positive. Yeah. And, and I think that surprises a lot of people too, because they, they don't understand that that's also something with, with guys that to be aware of. We've had a lot of them that are, yeah, her, her two negative. We've got her two positive ER positive ER negative. We've got a whole, whole everybody's different. Yeah, every single one of them is different. I could not, when I look at the the information that we have, because we do we do keep a registry. Um, every time we have somebody, we you know find out what their their stage was a diagnosis, and if they progress, you know, I just keep putting the information in there because we want to be a resource. We we reach out to the clinicians and the scientists because we want you to use us. You you need these guys. You need their information. We have it for you. We want to make a difference. And and you're a connector it sounds like. Also like that's a big part of it is not just connecting the guys with each other and with scientists and research but also connecting scientists and researchers together to make sure that that's an element of it and that's huge. Looking at my notes, and you were saying you're members of the Metastatic Breast Cancer Alliance, the Advanced Advanced Breast Cancer Global Alliance, SIO and ASCO, but you also do conferences and panels and review boards, and so you do a lot of groundwork. Yes, on that we, side, um, we make sure that the the men are actually involved in a lot of the initiatives met, with metastatic breast cancer. Well, with breast cancer awareness month coming now, October, I mean, we're inundated with requests for men to do interviews. And I said, I wish that people would understand that breast cancer is 24 seven and it's the entire year because some of these guys really need a breather after this month is over. Believe me, but metastatic breast cancer is a huge push right now with, with all organizations. It's like they all jumped on the bandwagon and gratefully that they have. So we're getting called into a lot of interviews. So it's it's a busy month for us coming up. 
I need a vacation at the end of it. I won't, I won't speak for Brett or any other cancer survivor, but I am pre-tired for October just because the, the awareness, the information, and I'll definitely be talking about pink washing and also making sure that you're donating or purchasing or making a difference with your purchase because I think that's the other thing that happens every October is, you know, we're understanding where your dollars are going if you're really truly wanting to make a difference in with that purchase and not just wear an item that is pink or pink and blue. So now did you guys come up with pink and blue men have breasts too? Uh, well, the men have breasts too. Yes. And the pink and blue and, but the, the we chose, I chose it. The pink, the, the way that the ribbon is the pink in the front and the blue in the back, because it has always been pink. Um, it is a female dominant disease, uh, but men can get it too. So you know, women for you think women first, but now you can think men second. And then it's not only being diagnosed, but men it is, is going to be a larger support system as well for women. Um, so we're there, you know, kind of backing them. So that's kind of, that's why, you know, I chose the pink in the front, the blue in the back. I know I've seen it flipped for, you know, other men have done it, you know, blue in the front and everything. So we can get the name out that, you know, get the image out there and stuff. I get both. Ribbons have different meanings. I know it also means like premature babies and and and, and other things. So there's so many different meanings, but um, yeah. So that's where the uh, splash of blue and a sea of pink. Hey, Tammy here. Look, I know from personal experience with breast cancer how challenging it can be to get back into shape or frankly, even get motivated to try before, after, and in between procedures. My friend and fellow survivor, Susanna, she gets it too. Susanna created RecasaFit, which encompasses belly dance and core fitness into one intensive workout for improved stamina, range of motion, technique, posture, physical expression, and strength. RecasaFit can easily be modified to meet you wherever you are on your path to reclaiming your health. And for our listeners, Susanna is offering 30 days free. So what do you have to lose? Check out the monthly subscription with unlimited access as your gift of health today at www.rakasafit.com. This won't last forever, so visit www.rakasafit.com to receive your free 30 days to better health through the holidays and beyond. So as you guys look ahead... And what are some changes that you would want to see? I mean, for me, I got to tell you, it's, it's not, it's, it's humans. We have breast tissue. So breast cancer is a human issue. And I know talking now with you, Brett, and then with Chris before and, and friends of mine, like that whole process of once you're diagnosed to going to the women's clinic and the breast center and the, like the forms and the whole bit is, uh, it's got to be a bit of a mental hurdle. I mean, I can only imagine if it was reversed in every place that I went, I was having to answer questions that were absolutely not relevant and, and a requirement to fill out, the, to at least sign the form every time, even though you can't really fill anything out on it. Um, so is that also part of your advocacy work in bringing that awareness and working with clinics and also finding allies like uh, Dr. Chris Apollo, who is absolutely amazing and aware of the plastic surgical needs of men who have been diagnosed and been through the process. So that's a lot of question in one question, but 
So maybe I'll start with you, Sherry, on the advocacy side, and then toss that over to Brett on the list of providers or sharing provider information. Uh, On the advocacy side, uh, definitely we are the voice for the men. Like you said before, we get involved in everything. Uh, We, Brett has actually, and a couple of other men have sat on um, the Department of Defense has their review board for any type of uh, treatments or protocol or drugs that they're looking to bring forward. And that's an intense amount of information that they have to go through. But it's important to have the male perspective. We've been welcomed And the women actually appreciate the fact that we're there. And when we have researchers or doctors at these conferences that stand up there and say, well, women this and women that, and I'm always the one in the back of the room going, and men, (laughs) I think they get tired of me after a while. But I think they respect the fact that we want to see change. And I've noticed um, them changing their wording a little bit to say people with breast cancer or men and women with breast cancer. So it's, it's catching on. And I think the more we're out there and the more they see us all, it's just going to make sense that it has to be because, you know, these guys need the the research as well. Absolutely. Can you repeat the question? I sure can. The question of the question. (laughs) (laughs) I know I buried a whole bunch in there. It was like I had it. (laughs) I know, but, but then that's what happens. Pressure's on. Totally get it. Um, as far as like finding providers or creating lists of uh, providers that are sort of like the known go-tos, I know like with uh, not putting on a shirt, they have a provider directory when it comes to aesthetic flat closure for women who are seeking to work with providers who are experienced and have provided good outcomes for other survivors. And I was wondering if that was also something that you did at the Male Breast Cancer Coalition. Absolutely. I mean, Sherry can probably touch on it a little bit more, but you know, we're there for men to, you know, to share their story and talk to somebody else and and get some extra guidance if they need it. I know Dr. Ben Park is, is probably our go-to guy for everything. Um, he's the he's the head at Vanderbilt Research and and just the knowledge that he has. Like I sit there and I just kind of go, I don't know if I understood that, but I I thank you for everything that you just said. You know, he's just his the way his brain works and, and just his knowledge of what he's done and what he's done for us and all the men. Yes. I mean, we do have, we have that connection so that we can make sure that if a male doesn't feel like he's getting the best treatment, we can try to find and help him out through our, our, our branches and, and just make sure that, yeah, they get the, they get the awareness uh, or the, the help that they need. And, you know, like Sherry said, you know, one of the biggest ones is with uh, HCA Midwest we got them to change the forms. They have a specific form for a male to ask the questions so that I didn't have to answer the questions of, you know, you know, and then have one for women and then they have a gender neutral one. They can, they can do both. So HA Midwest has helped us out and they've been, they're a big partner with the, uh, the breast health exam cards. That is fantastic. And I know out on the website, you mentioned that you have those cards available. Um, I'm sure for download then. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For download, as well as uh, I'm modeling. Uh, <laughs> I'm the big model for the breast self-exam, the actual like how to. Um, we just awesome. updated it again, which, you know, I don't know there's much of a change. It's just me touching myself again. Up here, up here, get your mind out of the gutter. Um, <laughs> 
but yeah, we have that video out there in case somebody just really doesn't understand the whole, you know, where you need to, you know, go stuff. So, you know, and that's goodness. That's more than fair. I, I will tell you, even from the women's side, right? Like dense breast tissue versus not like it's all different and what you're feeling for and, and the better approach for it. And, you know, and honestly, like I did not see the doctor for the longest time because I did not feel a lump. And so even on our side, education being so important. And if it hadn't been for Dr. Google and I sitting down <laughs> one night and me saying, oh, this is a thing. And, and, you know, the other thing I always tell people is you're the resident expert, right? Like you've lived in your body since birth. And so you kind of have a feel for whether or not something is right. You, you know, and it might be okay, but whether or not it's right, if it's a change. And I'm so thankful I listened because stage 3B, had I continued to ignore it, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, you're your own best advocate. You know, your body best. It you know, if you feel something, yeah. Something. Feel something, feel say something, something, see something, you know, all, all that and stuff. You're, you're, you're your best advocate. If you feel something, go to the doctor. And if that doctor just tells you, oh, it's nothing, don't you know, do it. But you feel that something, go to another doctor. Do not stop until you are comfortable with the answer. You know, the my friend that I said that had the had the lump up near her, her, her collarbone, it was the third doctor that she went to. And that she, and, and they, he, he or she, uh, that doctor, almost brushed her off again. And she goes, I am not leaving until you figure out what this is. That is fantastic. She goes, I know that something is wrong. So don't take no for an answer. That is probably some of the best advice that anyone could ever give with any medical situation. And, you know, and it's not like you said, it's not that doctors are bad doctors. That's not it at all. It's just that they see so many different things. And unless you really exercise your voice, I mean, truly the gynecologist was about to send me home. And I said, no, this nipple has been retracted. This has changed. It's subtle to you. I'm not okay with it. And three days later, I had a mammogram and an ultrasound and same kind of thing, Brett, where they're like, we're just going to take a few more images, maybe. Yeah. I mean, just don't so we don't have you. to, right. And in, in your head, you're like, okay. we don't want to take any more time. You know, there's, it's right. not a big deal. We just need, <laughs> you don't need to come back in. No. Uh, 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 you know, it's like now that you, now like I've played over my head, it's like, okay. Yeah. She totally knew. Oh yeah. But she, you know, feeling it, she, she wasn't my doctor. So she couldn't, she couldn't yeah. tell, you know, say it, which I get it. I understand, but no, and it's just, it, it's, it's, it's also getting doctors to, to broaden their, their horizons there because Sherry, you were there. ASCO, we went to ASCO, uh, 2017 or 2018. 2017, I think in ASCO. Yeah. Amazing. Like so many people there up in Chicago, the McCormick place is absolutely ridiculous. Like I got lost in it at least 10 times, but we had, I mean, there's doctors from all over the world and, I, I don't remember. He he was from uh, from uh, middle of Europe or so. I don't remember exactly where it was. But his doctor, I'm standing there. Michael Singer standing there. Sherry's there. We have our shirts on. Our videos playing for the breast self exams and everything. And it, and we're literally right at the front entrance. And this doctor walks up and he just kind of, huh, uh -huh, that's funny. Mm. What? Yeah. And he oh goes, men don't get breast cancer. <laughs> we're like, 
we're right here. I'm literally right here. I, I had it. Like, I think Michael and I might have looked up our shirts or pointed at the video and we we're like, you're absolutely insane. But it's just, it, it's getting doctors to know that it's possible too. Like, you know, yeah. We're I mean, that was an oncologist. Yeah. We're educating doctors, we're educating educators. We're actually educating some of the drug companies because I know we had a battle with uh, the Ibrance drug. We had several of our men were being turned away because they weren't postmenopausal women when the drug came through for them. And we actually had to go and speak to our, the people that we work with at Pfizer and say, look, you guys really got to help us make this change. This is being given to our men. It's a life-saving drug. And without right. it, what are they? What are their choices? And they actually did push that through and changed it. Um, and it's and we had a male and there, there's a male in South Carolina that was diagnosed. He was on Medicaid and diagnosed with breast cancer and was denied any treatment at the time because everything in Medicaid said women or females, nothing about men. So they were like, we don't have to pay. Yeah. And luckily, the governor you know stepped in and changed it and you know and did it and stuff. But that's that's the thing. It's because. Their, you know, insurance companies will sometimes find a way to get out of having to pay for it, and it's because it's they, it states females or menopausal women or whatever, and they're like, we're not doing it. You know, we have to fight, and we've because of Sherry and my mom and others that we have with us. That's the only that they're the they've helped change. Yeah, it's because wow. of them. We'll go after them. We will do that for them. Um, we're a support system. We are a five hundred one c three. We love to fundraise more, but what we found is that we really needed to be a support system and a dot connector because we are global. And I always say, my husband laughs at me, but I said, I have so many men, so little time because I would just love to meet every single one of them. But it's, you know, internet based is we've been very lucky to at least be able to connect with them. But we are the ones who'll go advocate with their drug companies. We'll, we'll go up against anybody. I don't have a problem with that. Um, right now I'm taking on somebody else because their commercials are all women yet in the writing, it clearly says for men and women, I said, do you know the difference you would make in somebody's life? Oh, I can repeat that commercial word by word because it's on so often. Do you know the difference you would make in that man's life? That's sitting on the couch that maybe felt a lump and didn't think anything. And he sees a man on that commercial next to that lady with metastatic breast cancer. And they just kind of like, well, you know, commercials are very expensive. I said, yes, I know that. And you just made a new one and it's women too. So that's the kind of thing. I mean, in a nice way we do, right, right. but we actually have to push, keep pushing the envelope. And that's the only way that we've been able to get where we are in the past six years was just speak up. That is amazing. I mean, that's not that much time, six years. That's, you know, in, in the, in the world of things, although 2020 feels like its own six year, <laughs> but yeah. six Can years is hit the fast forward. Button? Oh man. Yeah. You know, that's a lot of advocacy success in a very short period of time. And that's, I've got goosebumps. That's significant. And I, I guess one of the questions I would have is for the listeners who are listening, what are some of the ways that they could support you in your efforts or support the cause? In other words, you know, download the resources to take to the clinics they're going to, to help educate people or connect. So how can folks help 
you guys help them make it better for everyone. Our website is where all of our information is, the Mel Breast Cancer Coalition, uh, org, and, and everything's on there. All of our links, all of our stories are in memory for those that we have lost. Our, we have a donation page on there that if you are willing to help because we don't have a lot of the quote my mom we don't have a lot of money but we have a lot of heart and we're here for everybody we will do everything that we can i hope to get to a point someday that we could help fund somebody in treatment or to to, you know for that that gas money to get to treatment or or just whatever i hope that we can get to that someday but right now we just aren't i mean we're doing everything we can uh, you know, out of our own pockets to keep everything going, but any donations help. Um, it helps get us, get our shirts, our men have breast to shirts because it, once a male gets diagnosed, we, we, we send them a package. We give them, we get them a shirt, we get them a hat, we get them the, the wristbands, the button, the pins and everything. We get something to them so they don't feel alone because most of them are getting diagnosed and there's no other men around them. So it gives them, you know, some pride in it and, and makes them comfortable and they wear the shirts and then they are, and somebody stops and they ask them, you know, what does that shirt mean? And then they tell them men can get breast cancer too. You know, I'm living proof of it. So it's just, you know, it helps us keep the server going, the websites going and, and, and just a whole bunch of other stuff. I mean, Sherry can chime in on a few others, but you know, the website is our, is our biggest thing. Um, and then, you know, Twitter handles that we have, Instagram, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, Facebook, we're, we're everywhere. Social media is a godsend. We would not be where we're at today without social media. It's so true. I have a love hate relationship with it. Not going to lie. Absolutely. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> yeah, totally understand. Cause it's listening to us right now. Like I'm going to go on my phone and everything will say breast cancer. <laughs> Probably that it's, it's so much work. It seems like, you know, making things pretty to go out there. So, and what about volunteers? Do you guys also look for any volunteers? Um, most of our volunteers, like when we have an event and we're actually, we call it when we're tabling somewhere or Mm -hmm. when we have a tent set up at an event in prior years, (laughs) actually the, the people that are in the area are survivors in the area and their spouses, they come out. We don't really get anybody that's not doesn't belong to the organization that really volunteers to help, which is fine. We don't, you know, we want the men there. It's nice if, you know, I'm standing there with my T-shirt and everything and can speak about it. But we really need the guys there to show the face, you know, the face of male breast cancer. And to your question to Brett before, when you were saying, you know, what is something that people can take away and do? To be honest with you, if they hear this podcast they just educate their, you know, if, if it's a woman who has breast cancer, make sure you check your sons, not just your daughters. Make sure you get that genetic testing. Know your family health history. That is so important. That That's that's my biggest takeaway is let the men in your life know that, you know, breast cancer is real and it's, it's a people's disease, just yeah. like lung cancer. Oh, my goodness. This is so... I'm almost speechless. It's just so big. And I, even having friends, like I I mentioned before, that are men who have been diagnosed with cancer, I really, of course, had not thought through that experience from a man's side, not just from walking through the doors of a clinic, but even to the drug 
availability and procedures and providers and the whole bit and just being taken seriously. And providers are huge. Brett, I'm so glad you brought up to, you know, keep asking questions. I know when I spoke with Chris, Chris had an amazing provider who was just like on his phone immediately. And that's not the case for everybody, men or women, unfortunately. So you really do have to advocate for yourself. This is huge. That's what our medical advisory board is. It's actually made up of top docs, oncologists, scientists, researchers from all around the world. They don't pay to be part of it. We bring them on if we feel that they can help somebody else, just with the understanding that we will never ask them for anything. But if one of our guys needs their guidance and needs to get in touch with them, that they can reach out and they will get an answer. And we've actually had, I know Brett mentioned Dr. Uh, Ben Park. He used to be at Hopkins. He's now at Vanderbilt. And he, I cannot tell you how many times he has gotten on a conference call with someone's oncologist and spoke about their treatment plan and possibly made a difference in in their survival. Absolutely. It's important. So as we wrap up, I'm going to ask you each for your sort of your nugget or your takeaway for our listeners. And I know you kind of said it. It's okay to repeat it. It's okay if it's something different. But Sherry, what would your takeaway be for any of our listeners that are listening today? It bears repeating. Know your family history. You are your best advocate. Know your body. Like Tammy said and Brett said, you live in it every day. Don't be afraid to speak up and don't take no for an answer. And how about you, Brett? What would be that that nugget that you would want or multiple? Because this is, you guys are in uncharted territory. You're making new pathways. So what would you want our listeners to know? For men, you know, like I said it once before, it was, it was our slogan for the uh, Brett Miller 1T Foundation we started. Don't be afraid to touch yourself. Don't be so stubborn. I know it takes a lot for men to actually want to go to the doctor, you know, your arm falling off, hanging on by a thread, you know, whatever, you know, make deem a doctor, but, you know, know your body, you know, like we said, know your body, you're in a best advocate. If you feel a lump, go to the doctor, see something, feel something, say something. If they tell you it's nothing, don't take that as just a no. You know, I got lucky that it was a slow growing cancer for, seven years, but not, not a lot of men are, and we are, and men are getting diagnosed at later stages because they don't think that it's possible and they don't think that it's anything or they brush it off. So it's finding it early and finding it, you know, quickly and, and getting the treatment that you can quickly so that it doesn't get to metastatic. And one thing I didn't know until talking with the two of you is that the third week in October is male breast cancer awareness week. Is that correct? Yes. Sherry. We've been, um, I've been going to the governors in all of the States for going on nearly seven years. And we've been lucky enough to get three States that market permanently where we don't have to chase after them every year. That is Massachusetts, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. And the rest, we've got 45 states in total that give us proclamations every year. I'm down a few this year, unfortunately, because some of the uh, government agencies aren't issuing them due to COVID, but we still get their support. And it means a lot to the guys. I'll actually write for it in their name and they receive it in the mail or they go and pick it up from, um, from the state house. And it just, it makes a big difference in their lives. 
It's huge. It's, it's that, um, recognition that yes, this is, this warrants this level of attention for everybody and all, especially all those living, living. Hopefully we can get it from all the States and, and, and a national, you know, federal week, you know, like October is breast cancer awareness month. So hopefully we can get just a little bit in there. Not only for men, but you know, like our our friends for metastatic as well, because metastatic needs more. Take forward needs more. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I just want to say this. We've heard your baby in the background, Brett. And I'm and sorry. This, <laughs> no, what I love about this, and I say this so often on the podcast, is that when you see us as survivors, right? Like when you when I first got that diagnosis, I am, I will admit I immediately thought death, right? Like you just, it's the C word, it hits you like a Mack truck, and you're thinking, okay, well, I just start my slow walk to I guess the other side, right? But the reality of it is that it, I call it the, the cancer secret, not so secret club. All of these people who are alive in their diagnosis, and that's exactly what you are, alive in your diagnosis, advocating, making a difference for people who also have been diagnosed. And you've got your 14-month-old baby? 14th month, yep. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Baby girl. Love it. <laughs> so She's living. She's a character. <laughs> well, good. She'll keep you healthy. (laughs) On your toes for sure. I love it. Well, thank you all both so much. And before we close out, I do want to make sure that we do point out, um, and I will, of course, include this in the show notes for everybody and on my social media stuff and email newsletter, but it's malebreastcancercoalition.org. Correct. And then you guys are also Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and what are your handles in all of those places? I am on Twitter. I'm horrible at it. I'm getting a little bit better, but uh, at check them, Brett, because that's the, the Brett Miller foundation. The website is check them.org. And then, uh, and then you know, Sherry, you chime in on the other two. Uh, Twitter is at MBCC underscore MHBT. And that's male breast cancer coalition. And then men have breast two is what that stands for. Uh, Facebook is Male Breast Cancer Coalition and LinkedIn is either under, I think, uh, under my name and Male Breast Cancer Coalition. Awesome. Well, I'm going to go out and buy myself a t-shirt and uh... we'll send you one. Yeah, we'll send you one. <laughs> we'll get your information. We'll send you a care pack. You're going you're gonna to help us out. So I am going to help you guys out. Actually, um, if you send a care package, what I'll do with that is I will do, um, I will do my own little awareness for a giveaway for the care package for a male breast cancer survivor. So I'll hit Ooh. all of my social stuff. Yeah. So absolutely. We'll do awesome. that. Let's raise some awareness. And especially in that third week of October, I am looking forward to forwarding your stuff, tagging you guys and things and helping you guys get the message out. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for all that you do and that you guys, my gosh, I mean, it's I, when it, the story is coming from the depths of your soul, right, Brett? Like that's where it's coming from and that's yep. where it started. And what a powerhouse and Sherry for you to step up and step in and say, no, we can do bigger and better and stronger and make this better for the world. And you guys are change makers. It's huge. So, and I know that the Male Breast Cancer Coalition would not be where it is today without Sherry and my mom, Peggy Miller. That's so thank great. you both. I'm going to give a shout out to Peggy. Thank you, Peggy. <laughs> 
All right, you guys, thank you so much for being on. And for our listeners, please make sure to like and subscribe, leave us a note below and definitely reach out to the folks over Brett and Sherry and the team over at the Male Breast Cancer Coalition. If you know a guy who has a story to tell, please make sure and connect them because those stories and having relatable stories is just paramount when it comes to walking this, what can feel like such a lonely journey you really don't have to walk it alone. There are people who have been there and will be there for you with you through the marathon, not just the sprint and not just at the starting gate. So like, subscribe, and of course, tune in next time. And until then, keep building your killer life. Thank you for listening to Your Killer Life. And don't forget to subscribe. For more information about what you heard on today's show, visit us at yourkillerlife.com or visit our YouTube channel. You will also find us in all the usual places on social media. We have another great episode queued up for you next week. And until then, keep building your killer life.